sharing with him that he's a Christian, he travels quite a bit, that for those of us who are Christians, we know we've been given an amazing gift of life. We know our sins are forgiven. We know that we are now part of God's family. And we know that we're encouraged to come before the Lord, to go face to face with God, to enjoy his presence, to come with confidence, even boldness, the scripture says, to him. But sometimes we find it challenging to actually do that because we think, well, who are we actually coming to? What is he like? We may have read, given an overview of the Old Testament, some of the stories there, which show demonstrations of, quite frankly, awesome power. Incredible demonstrations of God's fire coming down on people. And we think that it's those who cause the problems that are, who are the ones who are going to be the ones who are on the receiving end of that. And whether it's the Egyptians, because they kept God's people in bondage for a long, long time, or whether it's people like a guy called Korah, who rebelled against the Lord, and the ground opened up and swallowed his, him and his family. And so we read stories like that, and we think, well, the Lord isn't someone you're going to mess with. But also, how do you approach someone like that? What if you come to him and he's not in a good mood? He's had a bad day? And although we may laugh at that, we just... When you drill down, sometimes we do think those things. And we think, have I done enough to please him? Am I going to be acceptable when I come and talk to him? What if I'm not in a good place right now? Will he still talk to me? Will he be okay with me? The thing is that the Lord is always in a good mood. When it says in scripture that the joy of the Lord is our strength, if there isn't a lot of joy, then we're not going to have a lot of strength. And one of the parables that Jesus told, he talks about entering into the joy of your master. He doesn't say enter into the misery of your master, enter into the joy. And we can never, ever earn his acceptance. We know that. But we've been given it as a free gift, free, unconditional gift. And with it, his love, which isn't subject to mood swings, having bad days or anything like that, his love is constant. His love is unconditional. So why then do we find it challenging sometimes to come and talk and come before this Lord? Well, it really depends on who we think we're coming to. What we, do we think we're like? Tozo is a prophet from the last but one century. He said this, whatever we think about God, whatever we think about the Lord, is the most important thing about us. And scripture says that whatever a person thinks, that's how they live, that's how they do life. Our being, our doing, all that we have comes from how we think and how we see things. So when you ask the question, well, what is the Lord like? It sounds a basic 101 question, but it's actually a very fundamental and very important question. And Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say I am? It wasn't, like, it wasn't like Jesus was suffering suddenly from an identity crisis or he'd forgotten who he was. He wasn't trying to dial up, running around thinking, what am I doing? What am I here for? Trying to dial up and call heaven and he can't get a signal because he's in the Valley of Elah or something. He didn't have an identity crisis. He didn't forget who he was. And he didn't want them to massage his ego because he didn't have 
an ego to massage. He's saying, who am I to you? Regardless of what the truth is about who God is, and we can say, well, God is, and come up with correct answers, scriptural answers that are true. But what Jesus is getting at is, who am I to you? Because that's where we're living from, that's the reality, and that's what he's like to us. Because as a person thinks, whatever we think about him is the most important thing about us. And Tozer went on to say that if we get that wrong, then we'd be wrong in every respect. So it's important to know what is true about him, but to go on a journey of faith and discovering more of what he's like. Because the Lord hasn't won our salvation at great cost to hold us off at a distance. He calls us near. He's not treating us as agents of his will, mere employees just to do his bidding. But he's won for us a freedom to enjoy being his children, being sons, being daughters, with him as our father. And like any relationship, it takes time to grow and to know. He knows us, but it's for us taking the time to get to know who he is. And he's not left us alone in that. He sent the Holy Spirit, the one called alongside to help, to come and to reveal who the father is, who this good father is and to pour his love into our hearts. And our part is choosing to partner with him, to say, okay, I'm gonna to choose to believe the truth. I'm choosing to believe that what you say about him, and I'm choosing therefore, and having confidence that you are good, that you are kind. So what then is the Lord like? What is he really like? Jesus said that by your fruit, you'll know someone. If I had an apple, I couldn't find one actually, but anyway, uh, I think we've probably got an orange at home, but if I held up an apple and said, where's that from? From an apple tree. By their fruit, you know them. You know where it's come from, you know what type it is, you know what it's about, you know what it tastes like, you know what it looks like. There are variants of apples, but essentially, it's an apple. In Galatians 5, we, we read that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is like the fruit of what God is like. This is God's fruit. This is God's character. Now obviously in this context as well, this is the fruit, this is the characteristics that the Holy Spirit is wanting to develop and to form in us. And this is the fruit. I was going to see if I could remember this. Love, joy, peace, pain. This is the NIV version, but forbearance is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But when you read it like this, that God, the Lord, is love, the Lord is joy, the Lord is peace, the Lord is patient, the Lord is kind, the Lord is good, the Lord is faithful, the Lord is gentle, the Lord is full of self-control. That's his character. You've only got to search through the scriptures and see that that's true. One simple one for the sake of time is that God is love. The Apostle John says God is love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud, doesn't dishonor others, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When you read that God is love and that he is all those things, 
That's his character. That is what he's really like. For the sake of time today, I just want to look at one of those in particular, and that's his kindness. And kindness in, in, in its most essence is goodness of heart. It's the way God expresses his love, whether it's in thought, word, or deed. Kindness is the way God expresses his love. And I want to look at a stro- story that illustrates his kindness and shows us how we can be confident how we can come with boldness to a God who's like this, to a God who's kind, to a God who never changes, to a God who we know will never be in a bad mood, to a God who accepts us fully, to a God who receives us and loves us unconditionally. So I'm going to read this story from, I think I've got time, Genesis 18, verses 1 to 33. <clears throat> you might try and follow in here, but I'm going to rattle through this. It says this. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, Abraham hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Abraham said, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, don't pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and you can wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you've come to your servant, very well, they answered him, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three dollops or sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and Abraham selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Abraham then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set them before them. While they ate the food, Abraham sat, stood nearby under the tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, Abraham said. And one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was well past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. Well, the Lord said, yeah, you did. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I've chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what's right. And just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. And the Lord said, the outcry to, so- to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great. And their sin is grievous. I will, the, so much so that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. 
The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham approached the Lord and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, Lord. Will you not judge, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less fifty? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of such five people? The Lord said, if I find forty-five people there, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him. What if only forty are found there, Lord, he said. For the sake of forty, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And the Lord answered, I'll not do it if I find 30 there. And Abraham said, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And the Lord said, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. And Abraham returned home. This is a story that shows unexpected kindness to the lost, great kindness to Abraham, and real tender kindness to Sarah. So let's look at how that works. In that story, the very fact that God has come down and he's walking through the situation tells us a great deal. We know that the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah is grievous. We know that it's a bad situation, that basically they're hell-bent on self-destruction. And from a cursory and overview of the Old Testament, we'd think this is an ideal scenario whereby God is going to get very cross, he's going to explode with anger, he's going to come down and sort him out. And you can imagine the Lord over the mealtime with Abraham banging on the table saying, this is imaginary, okay? Banging on the table saying, I've had up to here with those people. It's time they were sorted out. Pass me one of those thunderbolts and we'll get on with the job. But he doesn't do that. He has a meal. That it'd be very interesting to hear what they actually did talk about a lot, about what was happening. But we do know some of the things they talked about. That he allows Abraham to be involved and partner with him in what's going on. Because the Lord has come to be directly involved He hasn't stood at a distance. He's come right into the situation to find out what's going on. You think, well, he is God. He's all-knowing. But what he's showing is that he's not a God at a distance. He's not a God afar off, but a God who's near, what the Bible calls Emmanuel. And people are precious to him. This is still his creation. This is still the ones that he made. We're still whether we're fallen, whether we're lost, whether we made good choices or bad choices, whether we're sinners, whether we're the ones who belong to him or not. We're still his creation. And people are precious to the Lord. So he doesn't go off the handle, but he comes down to find out what's happening. In verse 19, we read this, that this is very personal to God. 
It says in verse 19 of um, Genesis 18, I'll just read it. For I've chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so the Lord will bring about for Abraham what is promised. This is personal to the Lord. He wants to reveal to Abraham and through Abraham what family life is like in heaven, what God the Father is like, how a good father handles those who are lost, who are not making good choices like Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not coming down to wipe them out. He's coming down to try to sort this out. He has to resolve this. But his first choice isn't a thunderbolt. His first choice is to partner with Abraham to try to see if he can find a way through this to restore it. God's judgments are always redemptive. His aim is always to restore, not to destroy, but to bring close because he is a kind and good God and he can only do what is good. He doesn't take the obvious human reaction. He's not subject to mood swings, which would mean we never knew where we stood with him. But he is constant and faithful that. As a loving father, he doesn't condone sin. He's not soft on sin, but he challenges in order to restore and not to destroy. And when you think of the story uh, when Jesus is, is confronted with a lady caught in adultery, and they bring her in, and the law is clear. She's guilty. She should be stoned, and she should be stoned to death. And how's Jesus going to handle a situation? Jesus came to reveal the Father. So if we see this as the Father acting in this situation, he's look, the Father is looking at a daughter who's lost, who's fallen, made some not good choices, but he's looking to see how he can save her. Not to condone, not to brush aside, but to bring her through. And with great grace, great kindness, Jesus said, let him who is about the sin cast the first stone. And from the eldest to the youngest, they walk out, leaving just Jesus and this lady. And he says, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. In his kindness, he's seeking to restore her. It's kindness that leads to repentance. The kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And you think of the story of the prodigal as well. Where he comes to his senses, he runs home, but the father, he runs home, he walks home, but the father runs to him. It's his kindness that brings about repentance. Someone once defined the gospel, the good news of salvation, as a heartbroken father seeking to bring his lost kids home. That's the Lord we're actually approaching. This is the one who we are coming to. Not someone who flies off the handle, but someone we can come right up close with and personal with because he's kind, because he's good, and he's better than we think. And so it's up to us to change the way we think about him, to believe and to trust and to stand on the truth. No matter what's going on in life, there has to be things we stand on or we will not stand. That's not rocket science. And there have to be non-negotiables in our lives. That he is good no matter what is going on god is good god is kind everything around me may be saying things to the contrary but he can't change he can only ever be good he can only ever be kind a guy called Bryn jones would used to teach teachers that you, you need, we need to know where we stand with him and by going through particularly the early epistles and personalize them so in ephesians when it talks about Though we were dead in our sins, God, through his great love and mercy, made us alive 
together with Christ. Cross out all the we's and these and all that and put in your own name. So just say Jim was dead in his sin, but God being rich in mercy made Jim alive and raised him up, seated him in heavenly places. And it's there that we get a better view of what's going on in life as well. Wherever we're at in our relationship with the Lord, whether we've made good or bad choices, whether we're doing well or whether we're struggling, he has come directly into our situation to help us no matter where we're at. Pat, I just want to share that with the knowledge. Because Pat was sharing with me earlier, we've got the mic. The context for this is that no matter where we're at, what's going on, he is a faithful, faithful God. It's just a picture as I came into church this morning. I saw a, like a shipwreck. And um, it, as a church sometimes and as individual lives. And it was all the rocks and the boat was smashed on the, on the rocks. And people were floundering. And some were panicking. Some were sort of thinking, how can I get out of this? And God just put his hand down. And he said, look at me, I'm your rescuer. No matter what state you're in or where you're in, if you reach up to me, I will hold you. And the, and the word says that no one, no one and nothing can pluck you from his hand. So whatever situation you're in, whether it's yourselves or your family or work, whatever, no one and nothing can pluck you from his hand. And it doesn't matter what storm it is, keep your eyes fixed up. Just take a moment just to respond to that. It won't apply to everybody, but as a guy called Arthur Wallace used to say, whenever you hear a prophecy, the word of God is a two-edged sword. It will apply directly to someone's situation or a number of people, but you can take the principles, take the, um, the lessons from that, and it can help you because it teaches something about God. That even when in the shipwrecks of life, even when things go completely peaked on, he's there, he doesn't give up, he doesn't let go. And whatever we think about him, he's better than we think. Just take a moment, just to close your eyes a moment, just think, how do I see the Lord? What, what is he like to me? And just think in terms of what you're going through, where you're at, and just ask this question to the Lord, which is a question Graham Cook asks very well. Lord, what do you want to be to me in this situation I'm in now? take some time even today and during the course of the week just to work that through with the Lord whatever he said to you just remember that he loves you he's for you and he only wants the best for you and allow him the time to to work that through with you so that by the spirit we are lining up with his truth Romans 12 has talked about being transformed by the renewing of our minds 
It's a change of mind. It's a, change, it's a mindset to do that. That's God's unexpected kindness to the lost. We expect him to blow a gasket, but he doesn't. He gets directly involved to bring them through. How much more with us as well, wherever we're at. And then he shows great kindness to Abraham. Abraham and the Lord have been through a lot of stuff together. Um, God called Abraham out of his, from his home to leave his dad, leave all he knew and follow him. They've been in a war situation to rescue Lot. He'd fought against some kings. Abraham's had some ups and downs. He's had children with someone, not his wife. But throughout it all, the Lord has been faithful to him and showed him great kindness. And the kindest thing is that God has revealed to him that he, God is a father. And he's, when he called Abraham to follow him, he said, come and be identified with me, with my tribe, with my family. And as a good father, he's provided and for and protected Abraham through all the ups and downs of his life. And Abraham then was able to grow in confidence that the one he's coming to is good, is kind, and isn't going to fly off the handle. Which is why the Lord, Abraham could approach the Lord and say, okay, so what about, we don't know how many thousands were in Sodom, but say, let's find 50. And then he's in a discussion, he's face to face with the Lord, talking about what is really happening in a difficult situation, and able to um, partner with the Lord to see resolve come in that. And what's the whole thing about the numbers, down to 10? We think Jesus with 12 turned the world upside down. The Lord isn't limited to say by many or by few. With 10 people, the Lord thought, with 10 people, I can find 10 people who are righteous. We can change the culture. We can change the, the city. We can change things around. With 10, he could do it. Sad thing is he couldn't find 10. But that was his first choice. And the Lord's called us to follow him. To basically leave our old life behind, become identified as his children. We're his sons and daughters. 1 John 3, 1 says that we are children of God. And in Romans 8, he talks about by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. This is a family matter. And God, as a good father, provides and protects for us in all the, all the ups and downs of our lives. And he calls us to come face to face, to approach him, knowing that he's good, knowing that he's kind, and be confident in his kindness, without fear, because there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And as we choose to believe the truth and stand on those things, those non-negotiables, and trust him, feelings follow faith. Faith is about trusting and believing who God is, choosing that. And I know that in my early Christian life, following Bryn's advice that, and personalizing the scriptures, that there were times I just thought, I don't think this is working very well. I don't really understand this. I don't believe this. But, and it's not mind over matter. I believe, I believe, I believe, and standing in front of a mirror, it's saying, no, I choose to trust in the situations I face, that he is good, that he is kind, and that he loves me. I'm his kid, and I can come to him just as I am, no matter what. And even if I've messed up, which occasionally I do do, he says, though your sins are scarlet, let's sit down together and I'll make them white as snow. This is a God who goes face to face, who wants to know us and us to know him. And so we can go confident in that. That was a great kindness he showed to Abraham and to us, bringing us into his family 
so that we can know him, so that we can approach him. And he shows tender kindness to Sarah. In the story that we've read, the Lord makes a promise about a child. Where's Sarah? Should be at the table. And Sarah's response is to laugh and think, that's crazy, you know, I'm, over ni- I'm well advanced in years, that can't really happen. And the Lord gently challenges her and says, why did you lie? And so Sarah, Sarah denies her and the Lord challenges her about her lies. But then we flip forward into Hebrews 11, 11, where it says this, by faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You think, hold on a minute. <laughs> One point she's not believing and she's lying, and then suddenly she is. God's recording that she does believe. What's the disconnect? Why is there a difference between the two? Clearly, from what it says in Hebrews, that Sarah had a change of mind. Repentance means to change our mind. It's not confined to the time when we become a Christian. It's not limited to that. It's a principle of life. It's us who need to change our minds about God, about what he's like. Not him, he's constant. But for us to come into line with what he's like. And it's a faith journey. And he gives us the time. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. And here, clearly, at some point, Sarah had a change of mind. She repented. And if it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, then he must have dealt with her kindly. He didn't bang on the table and say, how dare you not believe me? Am I not the Lord? Am I not powerful? He didn't do that. I think he gently turned to her, knowing what she'd been through, knowing her heart. This woman's been living in the backside of a desert for most of her life. She's had the heartaches of being barren. She's seen her husband having a child through a maidservant. She's seen her husband going off to war and wondering, well, is he coming back? She's seen all that. And with great gentleness and kindness, the Lord treats Sarah and us because he wants to see her change. He wants to restore her. It's about relationship, not rules and regulations, not ticking a box or anything like that. There's someone here who, when you were younger, someone in authority spoke some very strong words over you. And because they were in authority and because you were younger, you just trusted that what they said was right. And you, you've lived with that all your life. And God wants you to know, the Lord wants you to know, that we are not defined by what others say about us. We are defined by what the Lord says about us. And he wants to bring freedom to you. And we'd love afterwards, my wife and I would love to arrange a time to pray with you about that. Or if there's someone you feel actually know, there's someone that I can talk to and pray with, please, please do that. Because this is a day of freedom for you. I'd only just simply like to do this. I'm not calling you out. I'd just like us all just to bow our heads a moment and close our eyes. If that's you, would you just be brave and just raise your hand if that's you? Because this is a day of freedom. 
Okay, thank you. Keep your eyes closed and head bowed. Lord, we thank you that it is for freedom that you came to set us free. That you destroyed the works of the evil one on the cross. We thank you, Lord, there is nothing, no weapon formed against us that can prosper. Whether it's the words of people spoken over us, actions that have been taken, there is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. So we declare over this person a freedom that comes from Jesus. This is a day of freedom. And for all of us, we declare a day of freedom, of understanding better who the Lord is, of knowing that this is a kind God, knowing this is a God we can come to no matter what, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're thinking, no matter how good or bad we may be doing. And this is a God we can come to and know that he says, let's sit down and work this through together. Amen. Thank you. So wherever we're at, just in summary then, wherever we're at with our relationship with the Lord, what we think about him is the most important thing. And like Jesus said, let's just be real. Who do you say I am? He got some very interesting answers. But he didn't blow up at them. He just said, okay, we'll start with that. That's the reality. Because the God we know is the God we show. Peter said, silver and gold have I known, but what I have, I give you. What he knew of God, he gave. We can only give what we've got. And that isn't a condemning thing. It's not like we're all at different stages in that journey of faith. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's a, it, wherever we're at, he said, that's great. You're on the road. Keep going. It's an encouragement to keep going. Because if the Lord showed unexpected kindness to those who are lost, great kindness to Abraham, who we called to follow him, and to us, and tender kindness to Sarah, with all that she'd been through, how much more, how much more to those who are his? So we just stand before him a minute. We just... We've got a few minutes just to, Jane, we've got time for a song. If you can, just lift your hands to him. Just come before him and just say, here I am. Here I am. If you don't know Jesus today, you can know him. You can come and know this amazing God and you can come right into his presence. And as we sing this song, just engage with him and just come to him and just, sometimes it's a step of faith, it's a declaration of truth, sometimes it's heartfelt, but whatever it is, this is the truth, that he is a good, good father. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
that um, you know, when when people talk about these things and we sing that song, for for some of us, it presses buttons, and uh, for some of us, we you know, not not many of us, but but for some of us, actually, what we want to do is is leg it. What you want to do is, I'm out of here. This is too hard for me. And uh, and I just want to, I just want to, I don't think there's many of us, but I think there may be one or two. But that's our response. Oh, it's too much. Uh, I can't do it. And, and uh, we either run or we allow our hearts to become hard. Uh, the result is the same. We're, we're distant from God. And I just feel like he, there's some of us that he wants you to say, yes, okay, I'm, I'm willing to um, relate to you in a different way. I'm, I'm willing for you to soften my heart. I'm willing for you to be my dad and to speak tenderly to me and to draw me to yourself in a new way. And I just want to take just a couple of minutes right at the end here just to pray for you. You don't have to put your hand up or respond or anything like that. I just want to pray for you. And, uh, and the rest of us, take it as well because there's more. There's always more. Uh, God always, God's, the way he chooses to relate to us is primarily as a dad. And, uh, and there's more, isn't there? Depths of that for us to plunder, for us to discover uh, more of his kindness, more of his love. So let me just pray. Let me pray for those of us that uh, that want to run away. And then I'll pray for the rest of us as well. Yeah, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your tender love. God, we, I just want to lift up to you. I want to acknowledge, uh, God, that some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been damaged uh, by words, by things spoken over us, by things that have been done to us. We want to acknowledge it, God. We want to acknowledge that that has an effect on how we relate with you. But we, we lift it before you, knowing that you're a good father. Uh, and we pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and soften our hearts? Would you help us to walk forward when we want to run away? Would you help us to open our hearts when we want to close them up? Pray for those of us that are dealing and battling with grief. Help us to open our hearts and not close them. Just pray for your tender, tender hand to be on our lives in these coming days. Pray that you give us the courage to speak to somebody else and say, yeah, I need prayer. I need help. I pray for the rest of us, God, that you would draw us deeper into your love. Reveal more depths of your kindness, of your Father's heart towards us. Just pray for this week, God, that we would know increasingly your love. I pray for those of us that relate to you in a way that isn't how you want us to.
that we'd repent, that we'd change our mind, and we'd, we'd call to you as our dad. In Jesus' name, amen.